In continuing our discussion regarding the end of the age, let's not start at the end of the age, let's start at the beginning. Because the conflicts at the end of the age represent the culmination of what began when man was first confronted by the devil in the Garden of Eden. Now God knew that such a conflict would occur and even knew the outcome, so He prepared for the salvation of man so that, so that man would engage the purposes of God as God intended. So the gospel is not, it's not just how God created man, man sinned, Christ came to die for the sins of mankind, and whoever receives his salvation will go to heaven when they die. Now, I want to insert certain questions, such as, the first question would be, well, why go through all of that trouble? If that's your purpose for creating man, to save him, don't create him, then you won't have to save him. Now that seems like an abrupt way to speak about these matters, but some then offer the thought that God was lonely. I even had one relatively famous writer say to me, uh, could it be that God wanted to have an experience? I thought, how nonsensical. How are you going to have an experience when you know the end of every matter from the beginning? Where, what's the room for the experience? Nonsense. They're just sort of casting about. Those who venture beyond that paradigm, beginning with God created man and then man sinned, uh, they would venture an answer that's as nonsensical as it gets, namely that God was lonely. He's God. He was complete. He is complete. So no, God wasn't lonely. That's silly. It's as silly as God was wanting to have an experience. That is to cast God, the eternal Spirit, in the emotions of a, a human being, in the unsteady emotions of a human being. No. So truth to that. The demand of God, the demand upon God, who is love, is demonstration. For love, like faith and hope, are eminently subject to demonstration and cannot be said to exist, but for demonstration. So it was inevitable that God was going to create the other, because love does not exist without the other. In that configuration, God knew man would sin, because He knew what would come into the world. He knew that the rebellious one would come and try to pervert and distort and co-op God's intention. 
And God not only intended to demonstrate His love, but He also fully intended to demonstrate His justice. And to that end, He created the heavens and the earth and He put man in it and He allowed Satan to come into it. So from the beginning, right after creation was established and Adam and Eve were placed in it, how long after that is not clear to anyone, but at some point Satan was allowed to come into the garden and with that began a conflict in creation of a rebellion against God and a challenge to God's sovereign authority. Now God knew the outcome, knew the end from the beginning, plans to hunt his enemy down and capture him and bring him to destruction all the while, all the while maintaining the truth that God is love. Yet, as he said, when he spoke to Moses about his divine nature, he said, yet God punishes the evildoer. And in the case of Satan and the angels who fell with him, their punishment at the end of the age is annihilation. So these two themes began in the garden, but they began with the knowledge of God, with God knowing this was going to happen in creation. So the the beginning of creation sees the seed of this conflict in the garden. Enmity would be sown between the offspring of the woman and Satan. Interestingly, it was called the seed of the woman. A woman is not known for producing seed. That typically is a reference to man, the seed of a man. But he's speaking of Mary who carried the seed of God and he, this offspring, would crush the head of the serpent and all who are in this spiritual being, a natural being known as Jesus who housed the Spirit of Christ, who upon His resurrection is now available to have whoever God receives as a son to be propitiated, carried within the person of Christ as spirit beings. So this duality of Scripture, that which is born of flesh and that which is born of spirit, the visible and the invisible, the the glory of God and the kingdom of God, the darkness of the kingdom of darkness, the evil one and the sons of God, this duality is the framework of Scripture. And the inevitable end with the destruction of that which opposes God is the conclusion of this age, though it is not the conclusion of the story. Because beyond this age, Jesus will deliver up the kingdom to the Father when He has crushed 
every aspect of this rebellion under his feet. And we, by the way, are his feet. Then he'll hand up the kingdom to the Father, free of opposition, free of resistance, free of enmity. And then God will be all in all. So they are coming ages. The book of Hebrews speaks of that. In chapter 2, he says, it is not to angels, or chapter 1 rather, it is not to angels that he's committed the rule of the age to come, but somewhere it is written, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you should visit him? You made him a little lower than the angels, that's positionally, not authoritatively, made him a little lower than the angels, and yet you crown him with glory and honor, and uses Jesus as the template for this declaration. Jesus, who was once made a little lower than the angels, while he was on the earth, like we are on the earth, who now has returned to his sovereign place on the throne of God, and he is exalted above all, all, including the angels, both the ones who fell and the ones who did not fall. He established him far above all authority and rule and every title that may be given, not only in this present age, but in the age to come. And he put everything under his feet and made him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So how benign is this gospel that begins with God created man, man sinned, Christ came to die for his sins, and if man receives that salvation, accepts it, he'll go to heaven when he dies. All that is true, but that's a temporary portion of the gospel. The greater gospel is how God created man as his son to carry his image and likeness in the earth by demonstrating the glory of God's nature, which is to love. And in doing so, God supported man with the kingdom, with the authority of the throne of God. The highest authority in creation is the throne of God. That's why it's called the kingdom of heaven. But even the authority of that throne has been established in creation from the authority of God who is outside of creation, who holds all of creation in the breath of his hand. So the power and the authority that is inherent in the living God, the one who existed before creation, the one who made all things and without whom was nothing made that was made and made all things for his pleasure, this God, this God has supported the functioning of man in creation as God's image and likeness. This is the working of his mighty power. So what do we know about the outcome then of the conflict between a kingdom of darkness based in deception of man and the co-opting of authority that God gave to Adam to form an alternative kingdom to oppose the coming forth of what God originally intended? What is the destiny of that kingdom? It's going to be destroyed. It's going to be 
utterly destroyed together with all of those who oppose God, including the angelic men and angels who oppose God, are bound over for destruction. Angels who sin cannot be saved, man who has sinned can be saved, but if he refuses, if he neglects this great salvation, then his kingdom will be shaken along with all the things that can be shaken. And the only thing that will never be shaken is the eternal kingdom because it is foundationed upon the authority of the living God Himself outside of time and space, beyond creation, but it is anchored in creation by the representation of divine authority focused upon the throne of God. And by the reference to throne, we understand that there's a kingdom and a king. Now, this theme started in the Garden of Eden and this theme will culminate when the age concludes and Jesus prophesied the culmination of the age and gave us distinct signs by which we will know when these things have, uh, uh, when, when, when the end is upon us. Now, at this point, and before I launch into a discussion of these opposing kingdoms, I want to make it clear that God intends that His people be fully apprised of the times in which they live and the nearness of the return of the Lord. Now, to that end, let me address a thing that is frequently and yet ignorantly advocated. And that is, according to Matthew 24.36 and according to to, uh, Mark 13, that we will not know the day. So I want to show you a couple of these things very quickly. In Matthew 24, 36, the following is said, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but the Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of Noah before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage and until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, people have frequent, and I want to, let me add to that, the reading from Mark 13 because there are details in Mark 13 that are a parallel passage to this particular chapter that I think are critically important. So Jesus is speaking in Mark 13 and He says, Heaven and earth will pass away, this is verse 31, but My words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, 
no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So he says, no man knows, the angels do not know, the Son does not know. The angels in heaven do not know, and the sons do not know, but only the Father. Now here's my question. First, does Jesus know the day of his own return now? Because it's clearly, shall I read it again? But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. Look, look at it yourself nor the Son, but only the Father. So these erstwhile theologians who quote this verse to prevent anyone from examining the matter any further are stuck with denying that Jesus actually knows the day of his own return. This is where you catch men in their own follies. You notice that what he said, now let me show you certain aspects and I'll come right back to this because there's a revelation that you need to know about that addresses Matthew 24, 36, it addresses Mark 13, 32. And what is it? It says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they, they, note this distinction, they, there are us and there is them. There, there is one side and the other, this duality I've been speaking about. There are us and there are they. They were eating and drinking. Was Noah eating and drinking in the sense of partying? No, he was building the ark. And were they, was Noah in, given to multiple marriages and the like? No, he had one wife, his three sons each had one wife each. Until the, they, until the day Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. Was Noah taken away with the flood? And did he not know the day of the flood? And it analogizes and says, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. To whom? We'll get to that in a moment. But before we do look at this, this is Genesis chapter 7, verses 4 through 7. This is the story of Noah and the ark and the days of the flood as recorded in Genesis. Verse 7, verse 4, 4 through 7. For after seven more days, God is speaking to Noah. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. 
and I will destroy the face of the earth and all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that God commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters were on the earth. So Noah with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives, total of eight, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Noah knew the day seven days before. How did he know? God told him. That's why he was not caught scrambling to get into the ark. Seven days before, Noah entered the ark because God told him, in seven days, this is what I am going to do. Now he didn't tell him to build the ark seven days before the flood. He told him to get into the ark that had been prepared for 120 years, seven days before the flood. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man, for those who are distracted by the pleasures of this world and are not looking, not seeing. But the other side of this question is about those who are not like the world but who are like Noah, who are watching and waiting. Now to you, here is the answer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 1-5 through say the following, But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, so he's writing to brothers, the brethren, the believers, the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica, Thessaloniki. You have no, but concerning the times and seasons, speaking specifically of the days of the return of the Lord, you have no need that I should write to you. For as you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so come as a thief in the night. Now does that mean the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night to the brethren? Well, let's read on. For when they say, here's the same them and us, they and you. For when they say peace and safety, by the way, much of the prophetic that I'm hearing right now are telling us that by Easter there will be peace and safety. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. To them it will be labor pains upon a pregnant woman. Now, I, I, I want you to note that expression, labor pains upon a pregnant woman, because I want to refer to it further on, but not now. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness, so that this day should overtake you 
as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So this day shouldn't catch you unawares. But what about the scripture we began this with by saying, when we read from from, uh, Mark 13, uh, 32 and uh, um, um, Matthew 24, 36, that says, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels which are in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Does Jesus know the day of his own return? Now that's not a sentimental question meant to back people into a corner. Let me give you the answer to that uh, that question very directly. That's why you can't rely on dead doctrines. So here it is, Revelation chapter 1 verse 1. I want you to read it and it'll surprise you. I promise you, you've never seen this before. I'll read it first the way you might read it. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. That's the answer to uh, Matthew 24, 36 and Mark 13, 32. And you say, what's the answer? I didn't get it. Now I'll read it slowly. I'm not trying to be pedantic or condescending. I'm saying that unless there is a sent one, you will not see and you will not hear because you just read it and didn't see it. I spoke it and you didn't hear it. Now let me unpack it for you. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him. Whose revelation is it? Who is the recipient of the revelation? Let's ask the question first. Who gave the revelation? Which God gave him? So God gave the revelation. Who is the him to whom God gave the revelation? Jesus Christ. He's the son who didn't know. There's a time when he said, no man knows, present tense, he was in the flesh at the time, before he ascended to the Father and resumed the glory he had with the Father before the creation of the world. There's where he is now, enthroned in that sovereign majesty and he has the revelation of when he's coming back and right here it says so, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him. Who else didn't know? So now the son knows. To show his servants. So that would be man, but let's be more definitive, which will shortly take place. He sent and signified it by his angel. So angels know. To his servant John. Now John knows. Now this revelation contains the events about the end of the age. 
and sent ones, men of wisdom will unpack the signs and the seasons so that the house of God will know and you will not be surprised like those in the days of Noah were surprised or like those who are drunk and walking in darkness will be surprised. All right, then let's continue to unpack this mystery. 